Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally recorded live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquid Church, living water for a thirsty world. For free video and more, visit us at liquidchurch.com. God be with you, mighty warrior. All right. Oh, oh boy. This is going to be some night. Oh my God. I'm just kidding. Now, they see, the thing is, somebody did say to me actually last week, they said, you got to be careful. We get the visual. Don't impale yourself. Uh, big hair preacher, okay. Four finger preacher, not so much. But I assure you, I, I, I don't actually know how to handle this. Someone actually said, are you a swordsman? I'm like, not at all. Um, but this sword that I show you this week, I was showing you another one last week. This is actually an authentic katana. Can you say katana? It actually is a samurai sword, and here's how you know. By the curvature of the blade and the markings. If you'll notice on this one, it's a ceremonial katana. Take a look at the handle. Can you see this? Take a look very closely. It is carved of ivory. What, t- wow, Grandma, what big pores you have. Look at this, not me. If you look on here, you'll see a crouching panther over here and actually some samurai engaged actually in 12th century ancient feudal Japanese warfare. Every samurai had a name for his sword, and they had special markings on it that denoted the samurai code of honor, the the core values by which they lived and died. And you might see symbols on any blade for strength, for humility, for those kind of self-sacrifice. We'll throw those up for you, if you would. They usually are etched on the blade, actually, but this, as I said, is kind of a ceremonial one, and so it's actually just on the handle. But that was the code of the samurai, the core values, Aaron, by which they lived and died. In fact, samurai would rather die than actually betray those core values that were etched on their sword. What we've been doing is using that idea to explore the warrior way of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to take up a new way of life, a new core set of values by which we live a spiritual life in a very physical world. The warrior way of Christ is founded on a similar set of core values. The first week we looked at integrity. That was kind of the first one. The inner strength or moral fortitude on which the spiritual life is based. You're one behind, Aaron, if you would catch up. Secrecy, we looked at last week. That's what it means to cultivate a secret life known only to you and God. Where he actually trains you to hear his voice. Where he actually doesn't give you this as a sword, but he gives you this. And it begins like a scalpel, kind of actually cutting away the fat part of your heart, actually. God's word is a double-edged sword. We learn how to handle it, not as a weapon against others, but actually in our own lives and how, how God speaks to us. It's not about a quiet time. It's about spending time in secret where God begins giving you discernment of situations that you're facing and renews your strength every day to die to self and actually follow Christ. Now, the interesting thing is each of these core values, the Christian life kind of builds on another. And tonight we look at the third discipline of the warrior way, and that is integrity, secrecy, and sincerity. They are actually all related. Sincerity was a big deal in the ancient world. Your word was your bond, it was said. But being sincere has kind of lost its meaning because we have a 21st century culture that is all about sarcasm and spin. And I think a lot of people think sincerity means like, oh, it means like being serious. But it completely misses the ancient context of what it means to be sincere. The scriptural meaning of sincerity is completely different. Romans 12.9 puts it very simply. It says, love must be what? Sincere. Would people in your life, the person to your left right now, describe you as sincere? 
or the person who knows you best right now in your life, would say, you're a sincere person. Don't answer the question. Because to answer that question, you have to first understand the ancient meaning of sincerity. And to do that, you have to travel back, way back, over 2,000 years, to this. There's this letter that appeared in ancient Rome around 57 AD. It was attributed to the Apostle Paul. And at the center of this letter was the phrase, love must be sincere. Now that word sincere actually comes from two Latin words, sine sera. It literally means without wax. Now that phrase without wax refers to the ancient practice of pottery making. And it really described how you could tell an authentic piece from an inferior version or a second rate version of pottery. Now obviously a piece of pottery without cracks in it was worth a lot more than one with flaws. So what people did was they would take wax and actually fill in all of the cracks. They'd actually fill them in, glaze it over with wax. And with wax they could actually pass off a cheap piece of pottery as worth a lot more than it actually was. That's where the word sincere comes from, sine sera, without wax. In order to differentiate between the genuine article and a cracked version, the ancients state the words sine sera to show that this was in fact authentic and not doctored. Love must be sine sera, authentic, without wax. Each of us is like that, I guess. We all have chips and dents. Some of us have deeper cracks than others, I guess. And it's natural to want to cover them up wax them over, spin our words, to make us look better than we are. So at work or school, if a project is successful, I'll overinflate my role in it. You know, exaggerate the success or blow up the part that I played so that I come out looking pretty good. It's called spin. Putting wax over our lives in order to emphasize our successes. Or if we come up short, we leave things out. Cover over the little details that make us look bad so we don't have to take full responsibility. I did this early in my marriage all the time. You guys, I've told you about this. I had a huge problem being late. You know? And so when I get home late, it's a big deal for my wife. And I would pull into the driveway and instantly begin spinning the story I tell her to divert attention from the fact that I forgot about her. I'd spin a story. I'd, I'd emphasize things. Well, you should have seen the traffic on 287. Or I'd say, uh, uh, well, Mikey wanted to talk after the meeting with me. And that was true, but it was my decision. I'd even sometimes use religious wax to cover over things. Like, well, so-and-so had a crisis, and I had to stay and pray with them. Now, how can a good Christian wife get mad at that? Wax is good if you don't care about trust, about sincerity. True love must be sincera, without wax, sincere. People nowadays can smell spin or hypocrisy a mile away. I think because we live in a culture of spin, our generation longs for authenticity more than anything else. I mean, what would it be like to live authentic lives, to live sinisera without wax? What would it be like to love sinisera? I mean, just admitting our flaws instead of covering them over, where our words were pure and true, absolutely sincere. Jesus had a lot to say about authenticity about the power of plain spoken truth. He said, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. 
See, when we truly believe our identity comes from God and not other sources, we're free to live sinisera without wax. As a child of God, we don't have to pretend or posture to make ourselves look better than we are. I mean, we're valuable because we're God's handiwork. He's the potter, Scripture says, and we are His creation. We have value. That's what gives us worth. I mean, as somebody who's forgiven by Christ, we can be honest about our flaws and our failings on the inside that people can't see because we're forgiven. And the truth is, we're all, we're all cracked pots. And He's putting us back together piece by piece. As Peter wrote in his letter, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. God designed you to live and to love sincere, sincerely from the heart without wax. How would others describe what it's like to be friends with you, to work with you, to be to be married to you? I mean, would they would they say you're authentic, that you live sincerely, that your words and your actions are sinna Sarah? Or are you covering your cracks? Love must be sincere, it must be sincere, it must not have a glaze of wax over it or be spun. Are you sincere? What if I asked you right now to turn to the person next to you and say something sincere, not a pleasantry, not a how you doing, but something sincere, authentic from your heart about the inner you, would you be able to? Typically, most of us have trouble with that. We, we, we're used to pleasantries. Hey, how you doing? Oh, great, had an awesome weekend. Man, it was just great. I'm not speaking to my roommate, though. Or don't look at her right now because she's sitting over there and I can't even believe she showed up at the service. This is my service. I mean, you don't do that because what would you do with that? I mean, if we spoke to each other with the God's honest truth, with sincerity, with, without wax, and yet scripture says love must be sincere. That's a challenge, fellow warriors, mainly because our generation has grown up in a culture of spin. How many of you watch the debates? We are used to words being used to spin or conceal or hide or manipulate or, or show off your weaknesses and glaze over the truth. We learn to do this from very early on in life. It starts out very innocent. It has started that way with my four-year-old Dell. Um, my little boy loves to smell things, particularly he loves to smell me. This is the stage that he's in. In the morning, he will come up to me and say, Daddy, let me smell your breath. He thinks this is funny. Before I get to brush my teeth, I usually drink coffee, and he goes, and he rubs his face up against my whiskers, and he goes, and he, and he, and he goes, Daddy, you stink! You stink, Chase stinks, everybody, Mommy stinks. He loves saying stinks. So Colleen is like, you can't say, don't, don't do that, don't say that, you know, you're not allowed to walk up to people and just tell them they stink. And I'm like, that's right, you know, correct the child, you know. So anyway, this week, he comes up to me, it was so funny, because Colleen spoke to him, he comes up to me the other morning, and he literally goes, he goes, daddy, daddy, let me smell you. And I was like, uh, you know, and so I was like, you know what, I drank a big, and I just go, on him. And he literally just goes, and he looks at Colleen, and he just goes, would you like a mint? <laughs> I kid you not. It was, I was just like, what? I look at Colleen, she's just like, I'm trying. I'm trying to give him something, you know? And um, she's taught him a little spin. He taught a creative way to spare my feelings by kind of really cloaking the truth about my, my halitosis. And, and that's harmless enough. 
But you let spin invade your adult life and it's deadly. We grow up and, 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 and spin, not sincerity, becomes a modus operandi. I think what I liked about the, the debates the most, actually was, the debate itself was interesting, but what happened is afterwards, it's so fascinating, on CNN, Anderson Cooper goes, and now we're going to go to the spin room. Did you know there's actually a place afterward called the spin room? where each campaign sends their respective spin meisters with talking points, who comes over and says, well, I think Hector made some great points there, but the thing was he was really lying about those facts because actually the vote... And Bobby over here, and they actually begin spinning and begin framing the... They call it framing the issues, which would just be simply kind of manipulating them so that I look good and I can, you know, kind of... your, Your weaknesses. And it was amazing because our culture, our companies, our leaders teach us very early on that the truth is always open to interpretation. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. (laughs) What is, is. I don't, you know. Um, we We can extend the truth to make a larger point. I can see Russia from my house. Now, look, I love Palin. I love politics. I just view it all through the filter of Proverbs 26, 23. That's our core verse. Let's just read this aloud together tonight. Like a coating of what? glaze over earthenware our fervent lips with an evil heart. Wouldn't watching politics be great if they had that proverb scrolling across the bottom of the screen? Like at every debate, coating a glaze over pottery. We live in a world of wax. If you've been following the economic bailout, you know that when it first was presented to the American people, it was called the $700 billion you know, bailout. When it was defeated by the House, they renamed it the National Recovery Plan. And they said, why? Because it'll sell better. That's interesting. We use our words based, and we frame our position based on what we think will sell. Well, I can't tell her what, I, what, what I'm really thinking. I mean, she won't buy it. You hear that? We can't tell them that. We tank our deal. We've got to sell them on it. Spin, not sincerity, leaks over into all areas of our lives. So at work, we exaggerate our position or step over other people to kind of grab credit. Or if you're looking for, you know, a, a job, you kind of add a little wax to your resume, kind of shine it up here, you know, kind of like, you know, inflate a little bit and begin that relationship on a great deceptive basis. Or we add wax to our relationships. If you're dating, kind of, you know, well, we don't want to let people see the cracks, kind of avoid full disclosure of, you know, because we're afraid if they really knew us, they would, you know, they're not going to accept me this way. I mean, with cracks, and we wonder why the relationship does, so he seems to fall apart when it gets further down the road. It's true. To live with sincerity in a world of spin, very few people do it. But it is central to the way of Jesus who said, I'm the way and the truth and the, and the life. The truth, the sincerity of our speech always reveals what's in the truth of our heart. Let's do this. Let's open up our training manual to page 459. This is Proverbs 26, 23. And we're going to look at Proverbs tonight and we're going to Move around a little to the New Testament too, but this is the Old Testament book of ancient wisdom. You'll notice this is literally where the idea of sinisera, living without wax, comes from. Like a coating of glaze over earth and where are fervent lips with an evil heart. And basically, what we're being asked to answer is this. Is your faith, is your life authentic? Sinisera. Or is it more covering your cracks? Is that kind of what you give yourself to? Because there's sincerity... A life that's actually grounded in the truth of Christ. And then there's spin, kind of glaze over the more unattractive parts of our life. And although spin is, um, is normative in our culture, it's a betrayal of our calling as, as warriors to live and to lead with sincerity, without wax. How would people in your life describe you? Sincere? Do you live in a no-spin zone? 
Or is your life more slick, kind of like a coating of glaze? See, our words have great power. What we say and what we don't. Scripture says they expose the sincerity of our lives. Quick quiz. Who knows, in your body, what muscle has the most power? I'll give you a choice. Legs, neck, tongue, or toes? And it, You guys cheated. Were you at the earlier service? This is like a trick question. Keep your finger in Proverbs. Turn to James 3, would you? We're going to look at this together. And uh, it's really an unusual thing because Scripture says, yeah, it's kind of an unusual thing, but actually the smallest muscle in your body has the greatest power. Let's read this together. James 3, it says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Any, anyone a horse rider? You're an equestrian. You know, okay, like massive beast, powerful. And they're like, here's what controls it. This. It's this big. And you put it in its mouth, and you can guide it anywhere because the power is all here. Go. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes what? Great boasts. In other words, according to God, the most powerful muscle in your body is also the smallest. Everything I hear. Control the tongue, you control the man or the woman. Verse 5. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. What's James talking about? He's talking about the fire of the tongue, gossip, slander, criticism. When we use words to destroy or tear down, the impact on our lives and others is devastating. Maybe you remember watching on the news this past summer. Remember the wildfires in California? A billion dollars in damage began from a campfire, a little campfire in San Francisco and actually drifted all the way down to Los Angeles. Actually, ash from the fire was going into Los Angeles. Thousands of acres, thousands of homes, over a billion dollars in damage. That's the tongue, James is saying. That's a wildfire. It starts small, but it spreads. Boom. All it takes is a little dry land and a high, some high winds. When we criticize others, when we pass damaging information along about them, about their weaknesses, because here's the deal. Some of us are spinners and some of us are shredders. If you don't have a problem spinning, maybe you like to highlight the failings of others if you have none of your own to highlight. Our words have power to create and power to destroy. In verse 8, James says, no man can do what? Tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. In other words, right now on this stage, this is not the sharpest weapon up here. This is, I hear. I'm not going to put the too close together either. Because this is capable of tearing up, tearing down or building up. And when it does both, James says, it's double-mindedness. Your mind splits. Look at this, verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. And out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. See, what comes out of your mouth always reveals what's inside your heart. Sad example of this. Last month, Yankee Stadium was closing. I said, I'm going to make a field trip. I'm inviting my dad. He was there for the 1961 season. I'm like, I'm going to take him. This will be the last time he sees Yankee Stadium. I'm going to take my kids. They've never been. It's going to be their first time. We're going to have an amazing family moment. You know how that goes. 
So we get, in the, we get in the van, and the kids immediately put it to me. They're like, hey, we're stuck in traffic. They're like, we're going to sing High School Musical 2. <laughs> or praise songs for kids. Praise spelled P-R-A-I-Z-E. Oh. And we're going to listen. They have love number six. It's Jesus Loves the Little Children. You know that one? Jesus loves it. It's, it's a wonderful song unless you put it on repeat nine times. And on your way to Yankee Stadium. So we're playing that thing. Crazy traffic on the turnpike. Going to be late. Going to, you know, gonna, so I let, we're going off, you know, Jerome Avenue. Kind of getting off there, kind of in the Bronx. I let this guy kind of, you know, kind of in. It gets tight on the off ramp. But I let him in. And then we're going underneath the, the elevated train. And we're getting closer to the stadium. And then, with this, he guns his car just kind of in fright of mine. Actually, just kind of wedges me out right after I let him in. And I did something very pastoral. I rolled down the window. And I turned down Jesus Loves the Little Children. And I actually... <laughs> She leaned out the window and I go, you punk, you're a punk. This is what the Bronx does to you. I just, you're, and I'm all hot and bothered. And like, I, and I, and I start rolling up the window and start turning up and I just look over and I just see my father looking at me and I see the kids looking at me and I'm just like, what? You know, Jesus loves the little children. You punk out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Needless to say that doesn't just, it just tells you this. I hadn't spent my secret time in the morning because that was my day off and so I took a day off from God as well. And to say my heart was out of tune with my father's heart was an understatement. I forgot a warrior in training. You don't take days off. Well, I did my devotions yesterday. That's not it. There was a double-mindedness in, in, in my life that day. What's the point? Your words always reveal what's going on on the inside. Whether you are tuned to the Spirit of God or just reacting out of your flesh and market that day. This isn't about like, hey, watch what you say in front of the kids. It's about surrendering your heart every day. Jesus, take the scalpel because it's fat and it's out of shape and I'm surrendering it to the control and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Sincerity is about getting your tongue pierced with a cross. When it comes to sincerity, where are you most vulnerable? Are you a spinner? Or are you a shredder? You specialize in gossip, critique, and commentary on other people's failings. Scripture says the mark of sincerity is about whether you, how you use words in your life, whether you use them for their God-given purpose, to give life, to add value to others. Ephesians 4.29 instructs us this. Let's read together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. It's not just about cursing here. But only what's helpful for what? Building others up according to whose needs? Their needs, not yours. I want you to think about the role that words have in Scripture, what God uses speech for. If you look back at Genesis, how did creation come into existence? And God what? He spoke. He said, let there be light. And doom, there's light. He gives words and life bursts into being. So from the very beginning, God says, I'm ordaining words, the spoken word, to create to add value, not destroy. Everything we see that's been created, that's been made, it comes from God's word. By his word, it's sustained. Words are going to call life into existence. That's literally the God-ordained role that our words are supposed to have in God's kingdom. There'd be a source of life. The problem is that when we adapt the ways of the world, the kingdom of man, we actually pervert what God designed speech to do. When we spin or manipulate the truth, put a little glaze over it, or we shred... We use it to tear down or destroy. 
It's literally like an anti, it's, it's like a satanic act. It's the opposite. It betrays the image of God you were designed to bear. You were made to be a mighty warrior, to bear witness to the truth, not to spin it or use it to shred others. So here's two things. Sincerity means two things. One, you live in a no-spin zone. Without wax, without glaze, which is hard to do. It's the essence of authenticity. And it also means you live in a no-slice zone. Hey, without cutting, without just being critical of others and slicing and dicing when you see flaws. Are you more of a spinner or a shredder? How would you answer that? How would you... Better yet, how would your closest friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend answer that? Women in particular, you need to know something. You probably have the most incredible power in this area. You are the warrior princess. Words have power, and they say the average woman uses three times as many words per day as men. Women, 20,000 words a day. Average man, 7,000. That does not include grunts. Go Jets. It's not... More words, more power. And ladies, you have incredible power to build up or to tear down. I mean, if you want to wound the man in your life, here's what you do. You put a nice little mag light, a spotlight, woo, on his most recent failure. Point it out. Look at that. Dwell on it. How could you have been so stupid? Better yet, share it with your friends on Facebook. Take them out for coffee. Rake them over the coals. You can't believe what Hector did. Just, I can't believe. You will tank your relationship. Boom. That is how you do it. Because it betrays the God-ordained role he gave you to build him up according to his needs. And here's the deal. I'm not just talking about coddling the male ego as fragile as it is. But part of the ministry of marriage is encouragement. So some of you may think, but, but Tim, I have the, the spiritual gift of criticism. I, but I assure you it's not your calling. I can't tell you what power my wife's, Colleen's words have over me. They, I, I, I literally, I'll just be honest with you, without wax. I have 50 people on Sunday go, hey, that was an awesome message. Oh my gosh, this is good. And I appreciate the encouragement, but honestly, it just kind of washes right through me. I don't just, it doesn't just, but if I go home dragging in, 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 the life sucked out of me and Colleen says, hey, I'm really proud of you. I felt like today you really like, like you spoke God's word, didn't really just give your, you know, your opinion. I am like, you have watered my plant. I'm a man on fire. I will jump over a building, man. That's the power of sincerity. Proverbs says a word spoken aptly is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Love must be sincere. Sine, Sarah, without wax. No spinning, no shredding. Say only what's useful for building others up according to their needs. And here's the deal. We all have needs not just married folks. That just happens to be my context. But when Paul wrote, love must be sincere, it actually referred to a brotherly love, not a romantic type. Catch this? It's about learning to speak sincerely to each other in this community, in this church. Not just schmaltzy sentiment that makes us feel good, but sometimes it means saying the hard thing. The God's honest truth that will grow us up in Christ. Ephesians 4.15 says this. Let's read it together. Speaking the truth, where? In love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Notice how Paul defines Christian maturity. He's like, you want to know how you're mature? You know how to speak the truth in love. What that means is a true warrior 
knows when to wound a friend. Proverbs 27.6 says this. If you want to write this down, take this home with you. Let's carry it together. Wounds from a friend can be what? Trusted. But an enemy multiplies what? Kisses. Sincerity doesn't mean you avoid saying the hard things. Sincerity means, yes, we avoid spin. Yes, we avoid slander. But we don't avoid conflict. Just the opposite. In fact, living sincerely with brothers and sisters in Christ without wax means we tell our friends the God's honest truth even when it hurts. Because it's the defining mark of Christian love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy only tells you what you want to hear. That's how you tell the difference between an enemy and a friend according to the Bible. An enemy, they say, stabs you where? In the back. But a friend stabs you in the front. I need to come straight at you and let you know something. Who in your life has permission to wound you? Tell you the God's honest truth. Because it's essential to the warrior way. You have to know how and when to wound a friend. To speak the truth and say the hard things that maybe they can't see, even if it hurts short term. Because you love them in Christ. And you're committed to their long-term growth. And this is hard, folks. Maybe the hardest thing we have to do as we train and share life together, even in Christian community here. In fact, this past week was very difficult. I had to do this with a close friend. They were in a situation. It's someone I love. It was just kind of moving them farther, further from God. And it was one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had. Because I don't like conflict. <laughs> I told you last week, I'm a people pleaser. I, 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 when something goes awry in the life of someone I actually love and care about, or I, I'm actually not anxious to step into it. In fact, I feel like the more I care, the more I kind of shrink back from saying something. We, all, we do this, right? And we rationalize because we say, well, you know, I don't want to make it awkward. I don't, I don't want to hurt their, their feelings. In fact, the reality is that's not honest. That's not. Truth is we don't like conflict. And the awkwardness that occurs from without wax, straight talk. But a true friend, Scripture says, is called to speak the truth in love, even if it's painful. And, and, and you know what? That, that conversation I had this week was. It was painful. It was awkward. It was tense. There were tears. That, um, feelings were raw. And here's why. Because there was care. If you care, you're willing to wound a friend. And I didn't say, I, I, I know I didn't say everything exactly the right way. And, and, and I'm not sure how all that's going to happen. But, you know, I'm hopeful and I'm praying and I know this. I know something I know I loved my friend well because I didn't go to talk to others about them. Or I didn't say, stay silent and just say, well, I'll pray for them. But I went to them in love as a brother in Christ, as a friend who cares because wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. You want to test the relationships in your life? Who's willing to tell you the hard stuff? Because only an enemy tells you what you want to hear. The scripture send a, f- a friend tells you what you need to hear. And folks, to remain silent when a friend is drowning is a betrayal of brotherly love. You are, ab- you are abandoning them. 
And you're abdicating your God-ordained role to be a truth-bearer in their life. And this is hard, folks. It is hard. It is more, it's like swordsmanship. It is more art than science. And I've seen it done badly. Christians are notorious for this. We suck at this. I always cringe when somebody, somebody inevitably comes up every month at some point. They say, hey, Pastor Tim, I, today's the day I, heard, today I heard the message. Today's the day I'm going to confront my ex. I'm going to go Matthew 18 on her butt. And I'm going to bring two or three witnesses with me, just like the Bible says. And I'm like, are you speaking about like, you know, truth and love or like a, like a drive-by, you know, shooting? Like I don't, I mean, when is it appropriate to speak the truth and love to a friend? When, when, is it, when is it appropriate to wound them? And here's your answer. When the risk of saying nothing and the risk of staying silent is more devastating than the risk of saying it imperfectly. When the short-term damage from speaking the truth in love imperfectly is, is less than the long-term damage that will come from saying nothing at all, from staying like Adam in Genesis. Here's the fruit. What do you think? Should I take it? What'd the man say? Nothing. I'll just stand here and sit by. I'll have a bite myself. It's one of the greatest ways we imitate Christ. When we meet a friend at their point of greatest failure and actually say, you know what? I accept you as you are. You don't have to change for me to love you. But I love you too much to let you go on this way without saying something. You are, God be my witness, I won't let you go over this cliff without saying something. Your marriage is going to tank if you keep up that critical spirit. You see it in his eyes. I see it. You are chipping away at his spirit. I see it in his eyes when you talk like that. The, the way you're handling your business, is, it, 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 I, I know no one sees, I know it's common practice in your world, but it's not right for a follower of Christ. It is unethical. It is betraying our master. I'm sorry. I know you're lonely. I can't imagine how lonely you are. But sleeping with her, it's going to drive you from, from God, and you know you will wind up lonelier ever the morning after. You know this. It's not my opinion. It's truth. It's God's just honest truth. Sinicera without wax. Folks, I don't know what you think this is, but God doesn't set up rules to drain our life of joy, to actually ground us in truth. So here's the truth for two groups of people tonight. Some of us need to shut up and have our tongues pierced by a cross. And some of us need to speak up and strap it on and cowboy up. Because it is time for you to step up as a warrior and actually speak God's recreative words into the lives of those he has charged you to protect and care for. If you have a friend who is failing or drifting off into something destructive, you see their rivets rumbling, you need to say something. Do not wait until I cover this in a sermon. I'm, a, just, a, I'm just a pastor. You are their friend. And words from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. And it's probably the hardest thing you will be called to do as a warrior. It will, sincerity will drive you back to secrecy. You will need to spend time in your secret place with God prior to that conversation. Asking God to cloak you in humility. You know why? Because they will not hear you at all if you come from a position of moral superiority or self-righteous judgment. Sincerity has a sheath. It is called humility. That's how you wield a sword. 
As we discussed this in your life groups this week, let me ask you a revealing question. Do you have people in your life who have permission to stab you in the front, to wound you? Who's on that short list? What are their names? What are their... Can you think of them? I have, um, I have five people like that, four men and one woman. I'll let you figure out who she is. There are four men who I have intentionally invited and empowered to speak into me. These are, these are, we, we have traveled some miles together, as you might imagine. They know me. I trust them. There's a very high level of trust and love. And, and we've given permission to each other to speak into one another, even if it hurts. Wipe that out especially if it hurts. Why? It's not because we're masochists. It's not because we're training to be nice Christian guys. It's because we are training to be warriors, to stay faithful to Christ, to stay faithful to our wives, to stay faithful to each other, and to stay faithful to this, this church. And they don't tell me just what I want to hear but what I need to hear, and there is a chasm of difference between the two. You have someone in your life like that? Who did you draw swords with? Maybe it is someone in your life group who you have a resonance with, and there's, there's a, a natural friendship developing there, but who has permission to stab you in the front? My wife does. She seems to come quite naturally to her for some reason. I don't know. Sinicera, no spin, no criticism, just honesty, above all else, unvarnished authenticity at all costs. It is the essence of living the truth of Christ. Question for you as we close. Has anyone stabbed you in the front recently? Maybe they did and you received it as an attack. But in reality... It was a gift from God. Love must be sincere without wax. How much glaze is on your life right now? What, what cracks are you, I don't know, maybe you're expert at it, kind of covering up? What might God be putting his finger on to change this fall in your life? Is it training your tongue Maybe it's fasting from gossip. Maybe it's just, just seeking forgiveness for a critical spirit towards someone in your family or, or, or your spouse or in this church, in this room. It is hard to do. But do you understand why this is essential? It's not about being a better person. It's because each time you do that, you undergo a crucifixion. When I bite my tongue and reserve judgment, ah, oh, that's hard. It's death to self. When I humble myself, say, I'm sorry, no spin, I blew it. It is falling on your sword, dead to self, a little bit more alive to Christ tomorrow. When we take the step of saying the hard thing, of speaking the God's honest truth in love, unvarnished without wax, we engage. We unsheath the sword God gave you and follow in the footsteps of our master. Integrity, secrecy, sincerity and the greatest of these is love let's pray father god thank you for your truth god it's your word it's you said is sharper than any double-edged sword father these literally are an infraction 
of your holiness, of your razor-sharp truth. Who could ascend to you, God? None of us. But yet is your son who took the sword into his side, into himself, that we could live a new life and be alive to Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Father God. Thank you for a church of totally imperfect people who are perfectly embraced by a perfect God. But thank you that you love us too much to let us stay that way. We open our hearts before you now. Lord, thank you for a scalpel this week that you moved um, and, and it was in my own heart, God. You cut off some fat. You made me leaner, not physically, Father, but spiritually. I thank you for that. I ask the same thing for every man in this room, Father, every woman, every person watching, listening online, God. Do something powerful in them. Shape them, mold them. You're the potter. Put us back together. We thank you so much, Jesus Christ, that you can. You have the power. You are our Lord. We say that you are our Savior. And we worship you as our warrior God. In Jesus' name, all God's people said...